Thank you for making me laugh, y'all. And thank you for enduring what I just had to throw out there. All right, you ready to go into today's message? We're continuing with the series that we started last week on Advent. <clears throat> last week we talked about the gift of love that Christ gave us at Christmas. And today we're going to be talking about the thrill of hope. Um, one of the greatest gifts that God gave us at the very first Christmas was hope. <clears throat> in fact, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, hope is listed, scholars call it one of the big three. The Bible lists three things that are eternal, faith, love, and hope. The Bible says of these, the greatest is love. But these are the three things that will never do away with. We'll never reach an age, a dispensation, or a generation that doesn't need love. You've heard me say that love is the one thing in every passing generation that keeps the church relevant. The thing that proves that we are his disciples is not where we gather. It could be a gymnasium. It could be the world's greatest cathedral. It's not the building that defines us as his followers. It's the way that we love one another. Love Love is relevant in every age. When we lose love as a group, then we lose the, the thing that defines us as followers of Jesus Christ. Right? It's not the hairstyle. It's not whether you have a beehive or no hair at all. It's not whether you wear makeup or no makeup. None of those things matter. It's not the externals. It's love, right? Well, just like love... Love, we never, we'll never know a time where we don't need love. We'll never know a time when we don't need hope. We were, we were divinely designed by God to be creatures of hope. To be hopeless is painful. You following me? Because we were designed, we need hope. And in fact, let me, <clears throat> of those three things, faith, love, and hope, they all work together. Right? We, we, we talked about this last week and the week before that love is what empowers faith. If, if you don't have love for God and love for each other, your faith has no motivation. It has no energy. It does not work because faith works by love. Well, we also know this, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. If you have no hope, and I'm going to break down what the hope is, right? Because just like love, remember last week I told you that uh, in the English, the way we use love, it, it, it really is a meaningless word because you love your wife, but you love apple pie. You love ice cream and you love your sports team. And it's the same word, but it can't possibly mean all the same things. Because when I say I love God, it's got to mean something different than I love Oreo cookies. Is that right? There's got to be. And this is the reason why it's so important that we study to show ourselves approved and understand that agape love is different than eros or filio or any of the other Greek words used to describe love. Agape means a self-sacrificing love where if I say I agape you, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave of himself. He gave his life. He gave his love. He gave everything that he was because his love compelled him. Remember, we talked about this, even as. That you're to love each other even as. Well, what's that even as mean? That even as means I've got to go beyond just tolerating you. I've got to get to the place where if me laying down my life was necessary to secure eternal salvation, would I do that? Paul would. Paul said that he was, he was willing to lay it all aside if it would result in the salvation of God's people. 
And that's where we ought to strive to get there. Are we there? Probably not. Can we get there? Absolutely. Because the love of God has been a shed abroad in our hearts. It's in there. Everything we need to live a victorious Christian life is in here. It's just a matter of us discovering what it is and how to pull it out. Right? And so it's the same thing with hope. Hope is absolutely necessary because if I have no hope, then my faith has nothing to give substance to. It's very difficult to live by faith, and I say difficult because I'm being very graceful. But it's very difficult to live by grace and be hopeless. Because if you're living by faith, that means you have your hope focused on something. Amen? And so, you know, the, 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 these big, these three, faith, love, and hope, I wrote this down. I want you to hear this. These three work together, and all three of them are essential to make an overcomer of the overwhelmed. I want to say that again. All faith, everyone say faith, faith. Love, love, and hope. These are all necessary to make an overcomer of the overwhelmed. And we live in overwhelming times. We're getting bombarded with bad news every single day. It's hard to, I don't know about you, but I've stopped watching the news. I'm getting tired of it. Because to listen to them, it's hopeless. And if it's hopeless, then life becomes painful. I'd rather just spend some time in the book of Proverbs or the book of Psalms and get my praise on and just be, be, be antiquated enough in my belief to believe that God can still do extraordinary things even in this day and age. To believe that we live in the age of the miraculous, that God still puts together the brokenhearted, and that he's still able to make overcomers of those who have been overwhelmed. Amen. So in order to be an overcomer, we've got to have hope. Hope is not a bad thing. Hope is an essential thing. A heart, listen to this. A heart filled with hope is buoyant. What do you mean by that? <clears throat> have you ever played with a beach ball? I preached a message many, many years ago called Beach Ball Christianity. If you ever played with a beach ball especially if it's a big one. When I was a kid, I grew up on the Great Lakes up in Michigan, and we used to think it was fun to try to submerge a beach ball. And so we would lay on top of it and press it down with everything we had to see who, the, way, the way to win the game was to keep your beach ball under the surface of the water the longest. But we discovered something about a beach ball. It refuses to submerge. Because eventually that beach ball will flip you over. Now suddenly you're the one underneath and it's on top. Because as long as a beach ball has air, you can't sink it. Are you following me? As long as a human heart has hope, you can't sink it. It doesn't matter how much weight you put on top of it. It doesn't matter the pressures of life. It doesn't matter the news that it's confronted with. Eventually, a heart that is filled with hope always rises to the surface. You might press it down for a moment, but watch what's going to happen. Because until you steal the air from the ball or the hope from the heart, that hope will rise to the surface. Hope always has a way to believe the best. Amen? So what I'm saying is that a heart filled with hope is always buoyant. 
Now, when you're always buoyant, people are going to think you're weird. But you know something? If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are an oddball. Because you've chosen to believe that a Jew who was crucified over 2,000 years ago in a land you've never visited, in a time you didn't exist, still has the power to save you from sin. That's odd. You believe that a spoken word from an invisible God can bring healing to the human body. That's weird. You, you, you've already chosen to be a peculiar people, so you may as well embrace the oddities of Christianity and run with it. Amen. Are you following me? So you might as well, why be like everyone else and be depressed? Why? Is there no hope left? Is God some, is this okay? Is God somehow off the throne as his word ceased to work? He's the God of hope. And until he ceases being God, we always have a reason to hope. Amen? Listen to this. It's an oxymoron to speak of hopeless Christians. There is no such thing as a hopeless Christian. I'm not saying you may not feel hopeless. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that your situation may now may not now even look hopeless. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is if you have given your life to Jesus Christ and the creator of all that exists abides within you, then it doesn't matter what it looks like and it doesn't even matter what it feels like. It may feel hopeless and it may look hopeless, but it's impossible for it to be hopeless. Are y'all with me? And if you're not hopeless, then you're not helpless so stop acting like you are. Amen? Because you're not hopeless. Let me read you. Go to, go to the book of Ephesians. <clears throat> Let me read you this verse. And the reason I say you're not hopeless is Christ in you is the hope of glory. Right? He's the wellspring of hope. He's the foundation of hope. And we serve the God of hope. We have fixed our hope on the living God. The only people in the world, listen to me, the only people in the world that are truly hopeless are the godless. And that's what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. It says, having no hope without God in the world. If you've got God in your life, no matter what you're going through, no matter how rough it may be, everyone say this, look at me, look me full in the eyes, say this with me, I'm a believer. Therefore, I am not hopeless. In fact, your hope is boundless because all things are possible to them that believe. So now having said that, here's three things that I hope to do today. I hope to be able to define for you biblically what hope is. I hope to be able to show you the danger of losing hope. And I hope to show you the benefits of holding on to your hope with everything you've got. Because the devil will come after your hope. Because once again, if he can somehow convince you it's hopeless, you'll give up. Have you ever discovered if you listen to people, people who have abandoned hope have abandoned the future? 
They all have. That's the one thing they all have in common. What got them to that place might be different, but the one thing everyone who's hopeless believes is they have no future. And so they cling to the past because the past is all they've got. But Jeremiah said, and we're going to jump up to that verse in just a bit. Jeremiah said, the Lord said this, I know the plans I have for you. God has plans for you. If that's all it said, that's a reason for hope. God has a plan for me. So it doesn't matter what I'm going through right now. It doesn't matter what the season of life is right now. God has a plan for me. And if I know God is good, then I know it's a good plan. If God is perfect, then it's a perfect plan. If God is perfectly good, it's a perfectly good plan. Right? And that alone gives me hope. I'm not an orphan in the world. I'm not making my way without divine counsel or guidance. God has a plan. And it's to give me a future and a hope. Amen? I don't know about you, but this is good. Go to Romans chapter 15, verse 13. I want to read this to you out of two different translations. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow. Everyone say overflow. You notice that's not just a little bit of hope. That's like bubbly. Y'all have been around someone who's bubbly. Sometimes bubbly people can be really irritating. <clears throat> because they, they, they just they're optimistic about everything. You, ever, you know what I'm talking about? You ought to be one of them. I try to be one of them. I want to be one of them. I want to see the best in everybody all the time and believe only good things are going to happen. And when I have opportunity to doubt, I want to believe instead. Mm -mm. Because I serve the God of hope. Now let me read you this same thing out of the Passion Translation. Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, Fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. Do you see that? Now here's what I want you to know. Did you notice the connection between uncontainable joy and hope? When you have hope, you have uncontainable joy. And the more hope you have, the more uncontainable your joy is. Now, I'm going to uncap joy next week, and you don't want to miss it, because we all need some joy. And did you notice this other connection between perfect peace and hope? When you have hope, you can be in the middle of a hellstorm. And nobody ever know it. Y'all listening to me this morning. Because your hope is not dependent upon your present circumstances. Your hope is based upon the God of the word. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. (laughs) So this is why you can be walking through a trial with a smile on your face. Mm. Okay, so what is hope? Hope in the New Testament, it's not like hope we use every day because, you know, 
you hope this team's going to win. You hope that's going to turn out. That, that really has more to do with wishing. Hope in the New Testament, I want you to hear this, is defined as favorable and confident expectation. Favorable and confident expectation. It has to do with the unseen and the future. Hope describes the happy anticipation of good. The happy anticipation of good. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to throw, you, throw two verses at you, and I want you to process two well-known verses with this definition, a favorable and confident expectation. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for. <clears throat> what that means is this. Now, faith is the assurance of our confident expectation of favor. Are you following me this morning? Faith gives substance to our confident, everyone say confident, confident. Expectation, expectation of favor. Some folks have a confident expectation of disaster. That's not faith. That, that is quite literally fear. What do you think is going to happen tomorrow? Doom, despair, and agony. Right? That's a confident expectation of bad. Faith is the confident, say it again, expectation of favor. Because no weapon formed against me can prosper. So it doesn't matter what's coming at me. The God who's in me is greater than everything that comes at me. So I have a confident expectation of favor. Now my faith has something to give substance to. Well, pastor, I, I'm not very confident. Well, get in the word. Get in the word. Get in the word. Shut the TV off, get off of social media for a little bit, and get in the Word. Yes, amen. Read the book of Psalms. Get into 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Read the Word. Amen. Dr. Ed Cole said, God is the one personality in all of history that never ends on a negative. God's completely positive in His outlook. In fact, I'm going to show you in a little bit, depending upon what translation you read, I, you know I read the New American Standard. There's only three times in the New American Standard the word hopeless is used. And not one time is it used by God. The ideal is this. We heard our master say it. I only say what I hear the father say. So if the father never uses the word hopeless and there's no record of him ever using the word hopeless, why do you? Yes. Hello? Amen. <clears throat> why do you declare that hopeless, this hopeless, yourself hopeless, the situation hopeless? Why? God never does, so why do we? We ought to remove the word hopeless from our vocabulary and replace it with hopeful. What are you hopeful in? I'm confident of an expectation of favor. Okay, and then this Jeremiah chapter 20. Is this okay this morning? <clears throat> Jeremiah 29, 11. The Lord said, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future 
And then I want to stop and say the word welfare that God uses is not the same the American government uses. <laughs> when God uses the word welfare, it's so that you will fare well, not barely get by. If you've ever been a recipient of welfare, you know it's not designed to make you prosperous. God's welfare is designed to make you increasingly wealthy. Okay? So he said, I, I got plans to give you a future and a confident expectation of favor. You and I are to walk boldly into the future with a confident expectation of favor. So let's say this together. Let's say, I have a heart filled with hope and a confident expectation of favor. When you have a confident expectation of favor, that means every situation you go into, you're expecting favor. And if you don't get it, you know what you do? You say, next. Apparently, you weren't the people I was supposed to do business with, because if you were the people I was supposed to do business with, we would have had favor. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Because I have a confident expectation of favor. Uh -huh. And if I got no favor with you, next. Because somewhere, somehow, there is a place of favor for me, and I have a confident expectation. I'm not looking for a battle. I'm looking for favor. And I like what I heard T.D. Jake say many years ago, favor ain't fair. I ain't looking for it to be fair. I'm looking to gain an unfair advantage. I want an unfair advantage over the world. I want an unfair advantage over the devil. We are not on equal terms. I want favor. Amen. I want my enemies to do good to me. Yes, amen. I want people to walk up and say, I don't even really like you, but I'm going to give you something. <laughs> right? Because I don't even know why I'm doing this. And I can look at them in the eye and say, I do, because I'm God's favorite. <laughs> what do you mean by that? You've heard of Hittites and Perizzites and Canaanites. Behold God's favorite. Because <laughs> I come from the land of favor. And so do you. So we need to recondition our mind to quit believing that nothing ever works for our good. Because the truth of the matter is everything. Everything works together for your good. Amen? Hallelujah, Father. Listen, I wrote this down. I hope you'll remember this one. Listen. Let your hopes, not your hurts, shape your future. I want to say that again because that's powerful right there. Let your hopes, not your hurts. Far too many of us, we design our future around our past hurts. <clears throat> Let your hopes, not your hurts, shape your future. Now, I want to spend a few minutes talking about the danger of losing hope. We all know this. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12 says this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. <clears throat> One writer said, listen to this. Hope is a kind of spiritual food by feeding upon which a man renews his energy. But just like natural food, if you go too long without partaking of food, your body grows weary and weak, and soon you have not the strength to live. It's the same with hope. You were not designed to live life without hope. 
If you go without hope for too long, you become quite literally the walking dead. You may still be alive, but you have no energy, no hope, no life, no vibrancy. But we don't have to be that way. In fact, I want to show you that even though this is a truism, Proverbs is a truism, it's a life principle, it doesn't have to apply to every one of us. You and I can go through life never knowing a hurt heart. Because our hope, though we may have to wait for it, does not need result in a hurt heart. Abraham showed this. In the book of Romans, it tells us that Abraham hoped against hope. And that the longer he had to wait, the stronger his faith became. Is this okay this morning? Here's the, here's the thing. Look at the source of your hope, not the thing you're hoping for. Amen. This is what Abraham... Is this okay this morning? The, the, the Bible says of Abraham that he considered not his own body nor the deadness of Sarah's womb. Was he aware of it? Absolutely. But he didn't consider it. Why? Because he considered him who had promised faithful. Most of us, we look at the thing we're believing for, and if it takes too long, our hope is deferred, and now our heart is sick. And we say, well, you know, I thought God was going to do it. I've been believing God for our own building for years, right? But I'm not looking at this building and getting a deferred heart or a deferred hope and a sick heart because we ain't in our own building yet because I'm looking at him and I said, my father is faithful and he knows exactly what we have need of and I've given him a pretty big request so it might take a little while to fulfill it. But it ain't going to change because he is the one who promised. Yeah, I'm getting this. So get your eyes off of the challenge and put your eyes on him. Because if you look at the circumstances you're believing God to change, if they don't change quick enough, now suddenly you're in the deferred stage. Abraham had to wait for 25 years. And yet, it's amazing, they said that his faith grew stronger. Yours and, eyes can, yours and mine can too. Amen? Amen? I want you to go with me to the book of Ezekiel. <clears throat> and I want to show you how to be hopeless is painful, and this is why you don't want to let go of your hope. There's a story of a... Well, no, I'm sorry, I skipped ahead. Ezekiel 37, the valley of the dry bones. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, notice who said it? Did God say it? <clears throat> who did the valley of dry bones represent? The house of Israel. It was not Israel. It was a symbolic gesture or a, sim a symbolism of Israel. And God was showing the prophet, this is the whole house of Israel. But from perspective. Because listen to what they say. Who said it? Our bones are dried up and our what has perished. Our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Life and death are in the power of the... They were saying we've got no hope and we're like a bunch of dead bones. And God said that's exactly what they are. But did God say it? No, they said it. 
And so the, the question to the prophet was, son of man, can these bones live? And even the prophet said, God, only you know that. Because until they changed what they said, they were going to be living with the condition they had created. But what I want you to see was this was not what God said about them. God has never spoken the word hopeless over you. Is this okay this morning? No matter what your condition, God has never declared it hopeless. You may say it. You ought not to say it. But you may, but God never does. Now go to 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 16. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 16, we, we come across the story of the Shunammite woman. We don't actually know her name, but we do know that she had noticed the man of God would periodically come through her town, so she decided to build an addition onto her house so that the man of God didn't have to stay at the Motel 6. <clears throat> so she built a big addition to her house, and it's actually, called, it's actually, if you do a word study on it, it's a room fit for a king, meaning she outfitted this thing quite nicely so that the man of God could stay there. Now her, her doing this brought her into contact with the man of God, and the man of God was made aware of her, and so there came a time when the man of God said, what can I do for this woman to repay her for the favor that she's shown me? <clears throat> and he said, do you want me to speak to you about you to the king? Or do you want me to speak about you to the captain of the army? And she said, I dwell in my own land among my own people, meaning that, you know, I, I got nothing to do with your king or your captain of your army. And so Gehazi said, well, there is a situation she never speaks of. Remember to be hopeless is painful. And Gehazi told the prophet that her husband was really old and she had long desired to have a son. And so the prophet prophesied to her and said, this time next year when I come to stay at your house again, you're going to be bouncing a baby boy on your knee. And what I want you to see is how she responded. Y'all with me this morning? She said, oh man of God, don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that. The sad thing is in, in that there's a great many Christians that have been disappointed so many times they have conditioned themselves to live in a hopeless situation. And I want to encourage you. I know every one of us have been hurt and every one of us know what it is to set our expectation on something or someone and not have it or them come to pass and do what we thought they would do. But you need to risk hoping again. Because going through life without hope makes life mundane, it makes life hard, it makes life a drudgery instead of a celebration. Life, is this okay this morning, y'all listening to me? Life was not a punishment meant to be endured. Life is a gift meant to be celebrated. Life is something given to us by God and it's meant to be a big deal. It's meant to be a fun thing. Do we have battles? Absolutely. But uh, uh, the Bible calls our fights good fights. And I don't know about you, but I grew up believing the only good fight I'd ever had was a fight I won. <laughs> Are y'all with me? If I lost, I did not call it a good fight. I went and got a big buddy. But in, when it comes to the battles of life, Every fight we enter into, if we enter into it by faith and we walk by love and we maintain our hope, it becomes a good fight because we win it. 
And then step by step, we, we defeated the lion, we defeated the bear, and then we took the head off of Goliath. But don't surrender your hope, because if you surrender your hope, you surrender your future, and it's hard to advance with people who are living in retreat. You know, when you read about the spiritual armor that the Spirit has gifted us, we know we have nothing on our backside. Did you know that? When the Bible talks about spiritual armor, it's all up front. Ain't none of it covering the backside. You want to know why that is? Because the devil ain't never supposed to see you run. That's the truth. He ain't never supposed to see your backside, so you ain't got nothing on your backside protecting you. Because as the church of the living God, you're always advancing. You're always taking ground. You're always taking territory. You're always going into the future. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> Hallelujah, Father. Go to the book of Romans. I, want, I already quoted this to you, but I want to read it to you out of the New Living Translation, verse 18 through 21. <clears throat> Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Verse 20, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. The question is, are you and I as fully convinced? <clears throat> Psalm 42, verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him for the help of his presence. Now here's something that you, if you study the scriptures, you'll find there's a common connection. It's not one time. It's many times. You see this. The cult relation mentioned in the same verse, hope and help. Hope and help. This is the whole reason why I said you're not hopeless, so therefore it's impossible to be helpless. Because if you have hope, you have help. I wish somebody was listening to me this morning. If you have hope, it doesn't matter. And it's not about making light. You got to understand sometimes. <clears throat> what you magnify in your life with your words increases in importance. And if all you do is magnify your problems, then your problems will always be of supreme importance. But if you will learn to make light of your problems and make much to do about your God and His promises, then the promises of God become greatly important, supremely important in your life. It's not saying I have no problems. Our Debbie Shambach used to say, you've got no problems, all you need is faith in God. I'm not declaring the absence of one by declaring the supremacy of the other. I'm just saying I refuse to worship at the altar of pain. Have you ever known pain? Please. 
Life's a full contact sport, bro. You get hurt in life. We've all known betrayal. We've all known abandonment. We've all known what it is to get our hopes up, only to have them smashed. And you can build an altar to your pain, and you can bow down and worship it. And that's all you'll ever know. Is this okay? Listen, I haven't taught on it in a long time, but you know it's true. That the word worship comes from an old word, worshape, worth-shape. And it literally means this, that what you worship shapes your worth. This is the whole reason God forbid the worship of anything stone or metal or made by human hands. Because you can never become greater than that which you worship. Because what you worship shapes your worth. So the, the reason why the only thing you're allowed in all of God's creation to worship is God himself is because you were made just a little lower than him. If you worship something made of stone, you have now just become less than stone. If you worship something made of money, you have now just become less than paper. But when you worship God, you're finding your rightful place in the universe because you're only less than him so you don't ever want to worship at the altar of pain why because now you become a servant to the pain abandon that place go to the work go to the altar of hope is this okay bow down in front of the god of hope and begin to lift your hands in praise and he will fill your heart with hope and then you'll be able to walk right past the place that used to be such a uh, memento and um, uh, a monument of pain. And you'll be able to walk right past it because it will have, lo it will have lost its hold on your life. Mm. <clears throat> Listen to this. Disappointment is temporary. It is finite. So why should you and I ever surrender infinite hope to finite disappointments? Selah. I'm going to assume that silence meant you got it. Every disappointment you've ever experienced in life is finite. But your hope is infinite because it comes from an infinite God. So never surrender your infinite hope to a finite disappointment. A momentary pain should never dictate your future. Number three, and in bringing this into a close, the benefit of hope. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. But those who wait for the Lord, who expect and look for and hope in Him, shall change and renew their strength. They shall what? And renew their strength. And power. They shall lift their wings and mount up close to God as eagles. Mount up to the sun. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint or become tired. This is reserved for those who hope in God. Hallelujah. The hopeless can't even get out of bed. The hopeful, they run and they do not grow weary. They walk and they do not faint. They mount up with wings like an eagle. You can't keep them down. Hope renews you. 
Hope is important because it can make the present moment less difficult to bear. If we believe that tomorrow will be better, we can bear a hardship today. Romans chapter 8, verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, tenacity, determination, and resolve, we wait eagerly for it. But you only wait eagerly for it. You only have perseverance if you hope. What is hope? A confident expectation of favor. What do you believe is waiting for you five minutes from now? Favor. What do you think is waiting for you tomorrow morning when you wake up? Favor. Why? Because you're God's child. This is the year of the Lord's favor. His favor rests upon you. Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and devoted to prayer. Research indicates that hope can help us manage stress and anxiety and cope with adversity. And this ain't Bible. This is Google. It's got to be right. It contributes to our well-being and happiness, motivates positive action. Hopeful people believe they can influence their goals, that their efforts can have a positive impact. Psalm 31, verse 24. Now this is the Bible, not Google. Be strong and let your heart take courage. All you who... Let me say this again. Be strong... And take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. Psalm 71, verse 14. But as for me, I will hope sometimes. Oh, that must have been Google. No, I will hope continually. That means in the day of adversity, what do we do? In the day of prosperity, we hope continually. Whether, so whether it's adversity or prosperity, whether it's calamity or tragedy, whether it's triumph, it doesn't matter. We are hoping continually because our God does not change. So therefore, the object of my hope does not change. And I am constantly believing for favor. Now the naysayers and the players and the haters can say whatever they want, but I think I'm the ultimate realist. Because I believe the Word of God is the ultimate reality. I don't believe that by believing in God's Word, I'm believing in fantasy. And my hope is not without foundation. My hope is not fantasy. My hope is built upon God doing extraordinary. I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I'm trying to bring this to a close. God is the only personality in all of history that can do the best thing that's ever been done today and outdo himself tomorrow. Because God just gets gooder and gooder all the time. 
And so the, the best days, our most blessed days are not behind us because in order for our most blessed days to be behind us, his best days would have to be behind him. Well, I'm telling you what, our future is bright. Hallelujah, Father. Hope is a powerful thing. It inspires us to do the impossible and helps us carry on during difficult times. So don't allow your hearts to grow dull or lose your enthusiasm. But follow the example of those who fully received what God has promised because of their strong faith and patient endurance. For we desire to see you passionately advance and keep advancing right up to the very last day when you find your hope fulfilled. And since you and I both know it is impossible for God to lie, we know that his promise and his vow will never change. And now as a church, we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. So now we must cling tightly to the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps his promises. And for those of you who haven't figured it out, I took a hodgepodge of scriptures out of the book of Hebrews, and that's what I'm reading to you. I just changed them up to keep you guessing. But this is word. This is where we find his strength and comfort, for he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, an unshakable hope. We have this no-doubt-about-it kind of hope, like a strong, unbreakable anchor, holding our souls to God himself. Our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat, which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold. Amen. As you fix your mind firmly on the God of hope, hope will fill your heart. There's no reason, everyone stand to your feet. There's no reason for you to go another moment hopeless. Not one. Oh, but pastor, you don't know what I've been through. That's true, I don't. But I don't need to know what you went through because I know what he went through. And so I want you, right where you are, to lift your hands. You know, they say Christmas is the most depressing time of the year for many. Because the celebration and the lights and the gifts remind them of what they've lost. But I want to ask you to change your focus. It'll take some effort. Because the enemy... And sometimes even well-meaning people will do their best to get you to focus on things you need to let go of. But I want to ask you to change your focus instead of looking at your losses. Think about the cross. You are more than what you think. In Christ, you are capable of so much more than what you've ever done. And you truly are a superman, a superwoman, a new creature created in Christ Jesus, and old things truly have passed away. So with our hands lifted, and this is how we're going to close, thank you for coming today.
Father, you are the God of hope. And we fix our hope on you. We shut the door on the past. And we no longer will worship at the altar of pain. But Father, we look to you. You who are the author and you who are the finisher of our faith. You who are the God of hope. And so I pray, Father, for every member of Real Life Church, be they in person or watching us online. Deliver them from depression. Reveal yourself to them, Father. Some of them have been in darkness so long. And they've almost built up an inoculation, Father, to human words. But they're not inoculated against your love. So I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, visit them right where they are. And show them your brightness and your glory. And I pray, Father, that they'd become effervescent again. That they'd become the most bubbly personalities. That they'd be so happy people would think they lost their minds. And because truly they have. They've stepped out of their mind and completely into their spirit. So they're just part of the giddy group. So I thank you for it, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. 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 Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. <clears throat> and um, as you go, you know, offer hugs, but don't force them upon anyone else. And uh, I think I made it through that whole sermon and didn't cough not one time. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> I love y'all. God bless you. Once again, thank you for coming. Amen. Amen.